Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you. And those of you who are in person and just with eyes of faith, I'm seeing you online. And uh, it is so great to open God's word with you as we continue this series from, uh, about the prophet Elijah. Um, and I'm excited to, to open up with you to 1 Kings chapter 21 today. Uh, now excited, I said excited, but that, I don't know if that's the best word, uh, uh, because as we're going to see, this is a dark passage, a dark, dark passage. In fact, this sermon should probably come with a, with a warning label, uh, but you know what, as much as I sometimes want to avoid uh, the darkness, uh, I, I think it's important that we uh, approach this passage with our eyes wide open, because as we know, there's not only so much darkness in, in this passage, there's darkness in our world and there's a darkness in our own hearts and, and sometimes even to make it worse, we have a capacity to deceive ourselves about the darkness in us. And so uh, what I want us to see today is I want us to see Elijah's courage uh, in confronting uh, the, the, not only the evil but the, the, the deception that we often have about ourselves. And so 1 Kings chapter 21, love for you to have your Bibles open and uh, we're gonna read what happens when the human heart becomes invaded by sin. Uh, so brace yourselves as I read 1 Kings chapter 21, verses one through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife, Jezebel, came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. May God bless the reading of his word. One of the party games I remember from my youth was called Limbo. Who's, who's played Limbo before? You put on some peppy music, uh, two people kind of grab a yardstick or a broom handle, and, uh, and, and the idea is that while the music plays, maybe while people clap, uh, this yardstick is progressively lowered, and you try to 
like get underneath it. Now, I've never been good at this game, and back when I was a kid, if I was, say, 5'3", I couldn't get any lower than five foot, uh, usually. But uh, we actually had a guy on our staff, Rich Roush, uh, who was tremendous at this game. And uh, back when I would play it, uh, there would always be uh, like a, a, a girl who was maybe a gymnast or a future yoga instructor. And it would just be amazing, like how how low people could, could actually get to the ground. Now, I hate to take this happy childhood memory and, uh, and, and use it in such a dark way, but, but there is a sense that what we see happening in 1 Kings chapter 21, and there's more to the story, by the way, as we'll see, uh, is that the nation of Israel and her leaders, by and large, have been playing a game of moral limbo. Uh, morally speaking, it was as if the people said to one another, hey, how low can we go? How low can we sink morally? How far can we sink from the high moral bar that God has set for all of us? In fact, there are three questions I want us to look at uh, in this message. And the first one is exactly that. How low can you go? That's the question I think that, uh, that, that comes to me as I read this passage. How low can you go? Um, I want to kind of reintroduce some people if you're new to this uh, series, if you're a guest today, and then there's a person that I want to introduce uh, to all of us because we haven't met him yet in the series. But, but first of all, let me reintroduce Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen of the northern kingdom of Israel, sometimes called Samaria, uh, and sometimes called by the name of, of Israel or the, or the northern kingdom. Ahab is an evil man. Uh, he's an evil king. Uh, his father was an evil king, and Ahab's more evil than his dad. And if you think he's bad, you should meet his wife, Jezebel. Queen Jezebel worships Baal, the rain god. She only pretends to acknowledge Yahweh when it suits her purposes. And then, of course, there's the, the, the kind of focal point from a human standpoint of this series, the prophet Elijah. And as we've seen most of the time, Maybe not the passage we looked at last week, but most of the time, Elijah shows this great courage that God has given him. He shows up where God tells him to show up, and he says what God tells him to say. And we'll see that courage on display in just a moment. But I want to introduce to you a new person uh, in this series. He only appears really in this chapter, and his name is Naboth. Naboth lives in the city of Jezreel, which is this agriculturally rich uh, city in a fertile valley. It's 25 miles north of the, the capital city of Samaria. And hundreds of years earlier, uh, God gave to the tribe of, of Issachar this particular portion of land. And for, for hundreds of years, his you know, ancestors and great-grandfather and grandfather and father have tended this garden. Uh, this vineyard, and uh, it has evidently done very well. Now, this particular vineyard of Naboth borders the king's summer palace. He has his regular palace, and he has a summer palace. And uh, perhaps King Ahab was regularly kind of riding his horse along the fence line and looking over at this beautiful vineyard and also thinking about uh, the, the produce uh, that it offers. And, uh, and, and that's when we begin to play this kind of dark game with with Ahab, we begin to ask Ahab, hey Ahab, how low can you go, morally speaking? 
And I doubt that Ahab would, you know, would, would say it this way in his heart at that time. You know, we have this uh, sad ability as human beings to, to rationalize our sin, to cloak our sin. Uh, and, and, and yet still, what I want us to see is that Ahab and Jezebel are going to sink lower and lower and lower. It begins with the sin of coveting which is one of the Ten Commandments, by the way. It's one that we often uh, don't take seriously, but the Bible does. And, uh, and Ahab uh, gives into coveting. He lives in, in a palace. He has a summer home, but yet he's not satisfied with his current real estate holdings. He needs something else, something that doesn't belong to him. And so what does he do? He goes to Naboth and give him a tiny bit of credit. He does make a a fair market offer for the vineyard. He kind of practices in a a sense or tries to a a sense of ancient eminent domain. He basically says, look, I'm the king and I need your property, but I'll help you find a better vineyard somewhere else or I'll pay you literally in silver uh, for what your uh, property is worth. In other words, Naboth, I'm, I'm making you a great deal here. You, you can cash out. You can go to Florida. You can, you can retire with all the money that I'm going to give you. But even in asking the question, it is clear that King Ahab is sunk even lower. He starts off with coveting. But I want you to listen to the response because what, what, what Ahab is doing is he's completely ignoring God and God's law. And that becomes very clear in verse 3 uh, when we see this response that, uh, that, that Naboth has to the king's request. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Naboth is a righteous man. What is he saying? He's basically saying, King Ahab, this is not about the money. This is about God. This is about my calling. God gave my tribe, Issachar, my forefathers, this plot of land to steward. That is our calling. To to give away this land would violate the teachings of, of Leviticus 25. It would violate the covenant that my family has made with God. In, in other words, it would be blasphemy for, for me to sell you this land. So is that it? Is that as low as King Ahab will go? Well, of course not. Verse four, uh, we see him going home and he kind of gives in even to a kind of emotional uh, immaturity and sulking. I picture him plopping down on his bed and kicking his sandals off against the wall and refusing to come to dinner. He's in full-scale pout mode and Jezebel's wife comes in to see what's wrong and he tells her what happened with Naboth. And then we start to kind of switch from, from Ahab to Jezebel and we ask this question of Jezebel. Jezebel, how low will you go? Now, she started out low, okay? She started out low, but, but if you were to ask her how low she could go, I think the answer is a lot lower than you would ever imagine. What does she do? First, she berates her pouting husband. She says, cheer up, come to the dinner table, probably orders the cook to bring him his Pop-Tarts and juice box and, and, uh, and says, look, trust me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of everything. So what does that mean? Jezebel, how low can you go? Well, she can forge a letter in her husband's name. She can appropriate his seal and authority falsely. She can disguise herself in a holy garment. She can proclaim a a fast in Israel. uh, One of the reasons you would proclaim a fast is if you sense that there was imminent disaster from God because of hidden sin in the camp. And so you would call a fast to try to uh, basically to, to, to bow low before God and have God 
reveal this source of sin. Well, Jezebel and Ahab are the source of the sin, but she calls a fast. It's, it's all a, a setup. And then she recruits, the NIV says, two scoundrels. The term is literally sons of Belial, sons of Satan. And she instructs them to flat out lie about Naboth's character. She instructs them to say that this righteous man has blasphemed God and he's cursed the king. Jezebel, how low can you go? I mean, I'm not even sure that Martin Scorsese could come up with a plot like this because Jezebel is like a mob boss, right? I mean, she is basically, she and Ahab have given Naboth an offer that he can't refuse. And when he tries to refuse, he's killed. Ah, how it, how it breaks the heart of God when power is abused, right? especially re- when religious power is abused. Can Jezebel sink any lower? Of course she can. Of course she can. Verse 15 tells us this. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this verse, I almost kind of picture her just kind of doing this, you know. It's done. It's, it's done. We fooled them. We know how to work the system. We know how to get what we want. So what does Ahab do? Verse 16 says he takes possession of the vineyard, the vineyard that doesn't belong to him, the vineyard that never belonged to him, the vineyard that his wife defrauded and killed to get. But of course the passage doesn't end there. Our friend Elijah is gonna enter in the very next verse. But, but, but I think this next section is gonna prompt a, a second question that I, I want us to reflect on today. And that question is how foolish can we be? How foolish can we be? It's the question that I want to ask Ahab and Jezebel. I want to ask them, really? Did you think you could get away with this? I mean, it's almost like Ahab and especially Jezebel thought they could rewrite reality. They thought they could, they thought they could defy spiritual reality. They thought they could take the Ten Commandments and just say, uh, no other gods before me, I don't like that one. No idols, I don't like that one. Uh, do not profane the Lord's name, I don't like that one. Uh, don't lie, you know, don't, don't kill, don't steal. And just start marking through God's law, God's expectations. Did they really think they could get away with it? Did they really think they could defy the laws of God and God wouldn't care? If they did... Verse 17 must have landed like an asteroid in their backyard. Uh, Look look at verse 13, or 17 rather. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. And the word of the Lord, when it comes to Elijah, Elijah's gonna deliver it to Ahab and to Jezebel. And the message, the word of the Lord that God gives him to deliver is is not pretty, right? Verse 19, God names the terrible sins that have been committed. God calls out the terrible price that this righteous and innocent victim uh, has paid, the blood of Naboth. And then God promises that the shedding of blood must be answered for. And, and, And Elijah does exactly what he's told to do by God. With great courage, he confronts this evil 
couple. Ahab's not happy to see Elijah. Elijah's not happy to see Ahab. Elijah pronounces God's verdict. Ahab, this is the end of your royal line and your wife is gonna suffer a horrible death commensurate with the death that she caused of Naboth. I told you this sermon needed a warning label, right? You, you were warned, you were warned right at the beginning. But it brings that question though, like that we wanna first ask Ahab and Jezebel, and that is, how foolish can you be? But maybe for us, a more appropriate question is, how foolish can we be, right? I mean, like, I sincerely hope none of us has a moral resume like, like Ahab or Jezebel today, but, but my fear is that those two are so evil that we will we'll distance ourselves from them. We'll be like the, uh, the Pharisee in Jesus' parable who prayed, God, I'm so glad I'm not like them, you know? I'm so glad I'm not like that person. You know how, how holy I am. And we will miss, our, we, we will be deceived by our own sin and our own opportunity for confession today. We'll thank God we're not like them, but Romans 3 says that that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. James, the book of James warns us that we can easily deceive ourselves about our own sin. I mean, the truth is we're not complete strangers, are we, to this line of thinking. Sometimes we live as if God's truth doesn't apply to us. Sometimes we live as if the moral and spiritual laws of the universe don't apply in our little part of the biosphere. Sometimes we act as if what the Bible says about honesty or integrity or sexual fidelity or gossip or worry or bitterness or greed or pride or or selfishness, those things that the Bible talks about don't need to be taken seriously. They don't apply to us. We're different. We can defy it. Some of you have heard me share the story before about uh, my uh, Greek class in in college. I had this professor, uh, the legendary Dr. Richard Cutter, and he was a very demanding professor, and and a lot of us were in the class were future preachers, and he was trying to teach us the Greek, the language that the New Testament is written in. And, and so what he would do is he would give us an assignment where we would have to translate, uh, say, a whole chapter of the New Testament, which, uh, trust me, is not that easy. And I remember this one particular day uh, uh, that, you know, my job was to have brought my English translation of, let's just say it was Ephesians chapter 6 to class, and, and that I would have had to have translated all 24 verses. But on this particular day, Guess how many verses I had translated from that particular chapter? Zero. And so, but I knew Dr. Cutter and I knew his methods. Uh, basically, he would kind of start on the front row and he would say, read verse one. And then, you know, after that, you would read your translation, read verse two. And he would go all the way. And so what I did was I sat on the back row. And while all my classmates were reading their translations, I counted out how many students there were in front of me. And while they were reading their translations, I was, I was like the 20th student, and so I translated only verse 20. And he got to me and he said, Mr. Parsley, and, and I read my English translation of verse 20, and he said, good job. My buddy next to me did the exact same thing with verse 21. Now, you would think uh, we would be convicted of sin, right, after we'd done that. We're translating the New Testament, after all. 
but we weren't. In fact, we were kind of giddy when class was over that we had gotten away with it. And uh, we couldn't help but gloat a little bit to one another as after we left the class, of course, and we're kind of walking down the hall, we're a good way down the hall. It's like, can you believe it? I only translated that one verse and that's the one he called on me. And, and uh, my buddy was kind of saying the same thing. But there was one thing I had forgotten that Dr. Richard Cutter, he was actually a, a long distance runner and he walked really quickly. And so even though we had gotten out way in front of him and we're telling, we're bragging uh, on, on how little of the work that we had done, all of a sudden I heard this booming voice from behind me say, men, did you learn much Greek that way? Uh, well, no, Dr. Cutter, I'm sorry, very sorry. You know, it's just like, it was so ridiculous, right, at, at that point. Ah, oh, how humiliating. How humiliating. You know, sometimes in life, we act as if the rules don't apply to us. We're special. Right? We can defy gravity. <laughs> we can defy scripture. You know what? When I walked out of Dr. Cutter's class that day, I thought I was getting away with something. You know what I was getting away with? I was cheating myself. I was cheating you <laughs> on the ability to study God's word in original languages. That's what I was really doing. We, we, we don't defy spiritual gravity, friends, no matter how hard we try. But boy, we try, don't we? Maybe a spouse or spouses neglect their marital relationship for years. They stop dating, no date nights. They stop courting one another. They stop flirting. They stop listening to one another. They stop serving one another. But they're real focused on the kids, and so they spend a lot of time together. They just stop investing in their relationship. And then that youngest kid leaves home. And it's like that marriage relationship leaves with them. How foolish can we be? Maybe the boss thought that he had a right to treat those employees poorly day after day, week after week, year after year. And he seemed to get away with it for years. But then one day he's invited to meet with human resources and wouldn't you know it, his boss is sitting there as well with an envelope in his hand. Look, I promise you, I'm not trying to be intentionally harsh today. But I wanna plead with you and I wanna plead with myself. What is it, right? Like, God, open our eyes if we're deceiving ourselves. What is it? What is that spiritual stronghold? What is that besetting sin that we somehow think God doesn't take seriously? What is that pattern of, of deliberate lifestyle sin in our lives that we think has no consequences? I mean, what would happen today if the word of the Lord just landed in our backyard in regard to that sin? I mean, what if we all just pause right now, right? Five seconds. Lord, do I see it? Can I name this sin silently in your presence? One of the most famous Southern Baptist preachers of the 20th century was named R.G. Lee. He pastored for 33 years uh, in Memphis, and he was a sought-after preacher. Uh, and there was this one sermon that uh, he preached, and, and people like churches from all over would try to get Dr. Lee to come preach this sermon. He preached it over 1,200 times all over the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Now, I can't imagine preaching the same sermon 12 times, much less 1,200, but, but you're probably thinking, okay, what sermon would you preach 1,200 times? Maybe on the prodigal son in Luke 15, or maybe John 3.16, or maybe a, a famous miracle of Jesus, or maybe the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, or Romans 8, it's got to be Romans 8. You want to know the sermon that Dr. Lee preached 1,200 times? It was on 1 Kings chapter 21. It was on the, the story of Naboth's vineyard. And you want to know the title of his sermon? Payday Someday. Payday Someday. The theme of his sermon was that our evil actions have consequences, that one day payday will come, not the good kind of payday. How foolish can we be to think that payday won't come? Scripture will go on to record the tragic demise of the house of Ahab, the brutal death of Jezebel. Payday will come. Still, something so surprising happens before this chapter is done. And I don't want you to miss it. In fact, I, as I read it, it's shocking. Uh, and it, it's in verse 27. Uh, verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, these convicting words, these prophetic words from the prophet Elijah, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Did you see that coming? I didn't. This is the most evil king ever, right? And yet, when the word of the Lord hit him, it fell hard, it convicted him of his sin, and Ahab did the only spiritually appropriate thing to do in that moment, and that is he humbled himself. His torn clothes, his sackcloth, it was a sign of a, a broken heart before God. His fasting was a sign of mourning over his sin. His humility, his meekness was the only sane attitude when confronted with the reality of the sinful things we've hidden from others and hidden from ourselves. And Ahab's shocking repentance brings us to a third question. And I guess for me, I've kind of been able to endure the, the gloom and doom of this sermon because I knew this third question was coming. And this, this third and final question is, how low will God go? Not how low will we go in sin, but how low will God go in mercy? How far will God stoop in mercy and grace to meet us at the point of our greatest weakness and need. How high is his compassion and how far down does his compassion reach? For you see, this time, at the end of 1 Kings chapter 21, the word of the Lord actually comes a second time. And it comes not with the predictable message of judgment, but it comes with a shocking message of grace. Look with me at what God says to Elijah in verse 29. God says to Elijah, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. I don't know about you, but everything in my soul wants to tell Ahab, look, it's too late. And it's true, our sins do have consequences. And Ahab's sins had many negative consequences. But I want to tell Ahab to not even bother tearing his clothes or putting on a dark suit or fasting or praying. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to get Ahab, I want Ahab to kind of get what's coming to him. When it's Ahab, not when it's me, right? But when it's Ahab, I, I, I want him to, to pay the full price for his sin. And yet, 
Our God's mercy drops so low. How low will God's mercy go? How low will Christ's mercy go? In Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul describes Jesus being so high. He's in the splendor of heaven. And you ask, how low will the mercy of Christ go? And we see that Jesus dives low, doesn't he? He leaves the splendor of heaven. He comes to the squalor of earth. He's born in a stable. He humbles himself. The scripture says he makes himself nothing. How low will he go? He bends low to serve. He bends low to teach. He bends low to heal. He bends low to intercede and to pray for us. He bends so low to wash dirty feet. How low will his mercy go? It will go to the cross, even death on a cross, Paul says in Philippians 2. It will go as low as the grave. There is no limit to his mercy. We go low in sin and Christ drops lower in mercy and grace. Yes, payday someday. Payday is coming for the unrepentant. Do I sound like an old-timey Baptist preacher? Well, I am Baptist, and I'm old. And, uh, and, and, and this is the truth of this, of this passage, that, that, that there is punishment for sin, for the unrepentant. The wages of sin, Paul says, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus, in other words, volunteers to take the payday for us. Jesus volunteers to pay the ultimate price for our sins. Friends, how will we respond? Will we tear not our garments, but our hearts in repentance? Will we open up our lives to receive his mercy? Look, I know this has not been an easy passage to hear, but I pray we won't shield our hearts from what the Lord is saying to us. Because God speaks a word of truth to us about our sin, about the damage that it is doing to us, about the damage that it is doing to people close to us. And so let's listen. Let's take seriously the moral and spiritual laws of the universe. Let's listen to that first word of Elijah. But let's also listen to the second word, the word of forgiveness, the word of hope, the word of grace. Let's celebrate the fact that the Jesus who went so low to save us has been raised so high in victory. Right? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard word. It's hard to read about the damage that our sin can do. It's hard to to read about the consequences of that sin for people in scripture and for us as well. Lord, in this moment, shine your light in our minds and our hearts, Lord. Save us from self-deception, Lord. Help us to open our minds 
to whatever it is in our lives where we're trying to defy spiritual gravity. Not, Lord, so that we can sink in discouragement, but so that we can cry out for mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our sins from us. As a father has compassion on his children, Lord, you have compassion and mercy on us through the sacrifice of Christ. And so, Lord, as we confess our sin to you, we celebrate your mercy that drops so low. We pray in Jesus' name.